Good morning, church, and welcome, and thanks for joining us this morning, and welcome back to week five of Help for Today and Hope for Tomorrow. So excited, and uh, I've been thoroughly enjoying these messages, and I hope and I pray that you have also been enjoying these. We've been working through Romans chapter eight, and I have to say that, you know, we've been encouraged. I really feel that we are being encouraged. The world, as we know it, is in chaos. We can all say amen to that, including you, Pastor Jamie, with your post on social media this week. Uh, but when we look at the news and uh, at our social media and, and uh, you know, even just talk to another person, you can hear that people are quite concerned around us. We've been walking out this series from Romans because as the church, we need to remember that we have a sure and certain hope in Jesus Christ. And when we engage with this truth, we realize that God's plan is to secure us and establish us to carry this hope to the hopeless, bringing light into this dark world. We cannot be a help to anyone if we are not sure and certain of the hope that we have in Jesus, which is why we've been spending this time in this series. As we begin today, and before we begin to unpack the message for you, I want to share a couple of stories that uh, help us understand the artistic vision. And the first is, uh, I'm really hoping that a photo of this comes up, but the first is the statue of David, the sculpture by uh, the famous artist Michelangelo. Uh, today, when we look at photos of this magnificent piece of work, we can understand, or even if you've gone to Florence yourself and had a look at this, you can understand that this statue is 14 feet tall. And it perfectly captures uh, the visionary's mind of, of the interpretation of the artist and how he saw David and how flawless he was. But you know, no one's perfect. And Michelangelo put a hint of a flaw in this statue. He put a little squint. It's only the tiniest thing in the eye of this man because there's only one perfect man and his name's Jesus. The other thing that Michelangelo did was because the statue was meant to be mounted up high to be looked at from the bottom of, or from the ground and this thing being elevated, the other thing Michelangelo did was he made the hand on the right hand of David extremely large. And it's actually out of proportion to the rest of his body. And the reason he did that was because for the people who were watching and doing and, and, and knew what was doing, they would see instantly that, Dave, that this was David because his name was known to the people at that time as Strong Hand. Isn't that interesting? And Michelangelo makes it large and out of proportion. You know, 516 rough years ago, this statue was completed. You may not have known, though, that two previous sculptors were commissioned before Michelangelo. His first name was Agostino di Duccio. Uh, he was the first one commissioned in the year of 1464, such a long time ago. And he began the work on this piece of marble. He began to rough out the legs, a massive piece of granite or marble that came from Tuscany. But little is known as to why he quit working on the project. But something comes to light when the second artist was commissioned in 1476, some 12 years later, Antonio Rossellino, backed away from the project almost immediately and his reasoning for that was the poor quality of the marble being used. 
He didn't think that the marble would stand up to uh, not only his sculpting work, but over time that this statue would last because of the poor quality. So Michelangelo, 28 years later, was commissioned to carve this masterpiece in what may appear to be a miracle to many because of the poor quality of this marble. And this was confirmed uh, recently um, through, um, through science and being able to show that, that there actually really is a problem and a fault within this marble. Isn't it interesting? The sculptors knew straight away by looking at the marble. This is fascinating because to the artist, David was always in the marble. When, 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 when David saw that piece of, uh, sorry, when, when Michelangelo saw that piece of marble, he was able to vision this statue and he was able to chisel away the marble from all of that. The second thing I want to bring uh, a reflection around is the USA is in the news a lot at the moment. And there's a place in the USA uh, that's a wonder of the world, really, and it's Mount Rushmore. Does everyone know who, where Mount Rushmore is? Again, I think a, a photo will flash up on the screen for you now. It's a mountain whose beauty was unprecedented. Ha, that's for you, Phil, and for you, Shane. I think you'd get that one. Because the site at which now uh, the world can see uh, with four remarkable works of art on it, the faces of four presidents. Theodore Roosevelt, who was an influential world leader and president. Thomas Jefferson, a founder of democracy. Abraham Lincoln, a believer like us, that all people are equal, and therefore he was able to bring an end to slavery in America. And George Washington, the first president of America, who won the Revolutionary War for independence. So four prime examples of presidents of leaders worthy to have their faces carved in the side of a mountain, some may believe. The man who was commissioned to do this carving was a man by the name of Gutzon Borglum. And uh, he began the work which took 14 years in total to complete. His, um, his son Lincoln, he took over in 1941 after his father's death. Today this site contains some interesting things. Behind a 1,200-pound slab of granite and inside a wooden box, there's some important articles uh, to the American people. First is the US Constitution. Second is the Declaration of Independence. These are inside this box. The Bill of Rights, a, a short bi uh, biography of the artist and a description of each of the four presidents. They've been sealed away in this mountain. You know, these stories remain just stories without an explanation, don't they? It's really nice to jump online and just check out Mount Rushmore or the Statue of David. But when you get an explanation, you start to understand the value behind it. The same, it's the same with the piece of marble that was used as it is the same with the mountain. Um, the artist on the mountain started to work on one part of the mountain and it all crumbled away because there was a flaw in that. But ultimately, the artists were able to see behind the rubble. They were able to see behind the rock. And they were able to see what, was, what could be made of this piece of artwork, this piece of stone, this piece of granite. It took an artist to see David. And it takes Jesus to actually see your potential. <clears throat> so we're going to read Romans 8, 31 to 34 this morning. 
And uh, let me read this to you now. This is the next part of the chapter we're working on. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How great is that? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? It's an interesting reading. The last week I was able to share of the three verses before this. And it really discussed our security in Christ. Remember verses 29 and 30. How they spoke of our predestination. Our being chosen by God. Our calling, our justification, and finally our glorification. And this speaks directly to our first point for today's reading. We we have hope as Christ followers because we are not an afterthought to Jesus. God, through sending Jesus, is stating that he sees us in the depth of our depravity. But he sees not the rock and the filth that surrounds us, but the artwork that is inside. Which is why he chose us, called us, justified us, and is now speaking well of us, which is the explanation of glorification. As Michelangelo saw David in the marble, God looks at you and sees a masterpiece. But you might look at you, or I might look at you, or you might look at me, And you might see the rough edges, but God sees the masterpiece. To Jesus, we are not an afterthought. This truth brings us to ask this rhetorical question. What shall we say in response to not being an afterthought? Paul writes this for us in Ephesians 2.10 to help us unpack and understand what God's saying. He says, for we are his workmanship. Firstly, we are workmanship But we're not workmanship of anyone else's but God's. It's God who's working on us, created in Christ Jesus, get this church, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How encouraging is that? When you look at Psalms and it tells us he knew us while we were in our mother's womb. He knit us and formed us together. He pieced us together. We are the result of his craftsmanship. On the inside, but on the outside, we're subject to the craftsmanship of the Holy Spirit who's working in us for the glory of God. Like the sculpture of David or the four faces of the presidents on Mount Rushmore, God sees in you a masterpiece that he is working to bring out. It's no one else's responsibility but God's. We are not an afterthought, but a masterpiece in the grand plan of God in redeeming this world. Our salvation is entirely in his hand. And the reality, like Michelangelo, working with a flawed piece of marble was able to bring out a magnificent statue. God is working with the flawed humanity that we carry And in Christ, he's working a miracle of redemption in us. I love that. 
that only God can work this miracle in this life. And while this is happening, he's treating us as if we already complete. He loves us and speaks well of us, even though we might falter or have flaws. I'm so encouraged by that. Based on our future glorification. So let me put it in these terms. If left to our own devices, none of us would have returned or responded to Jesus. Yet when God takes the initiative, he, like a gentle husband, never forces his will on us, but leads us into all understanding. How encouraging is it to know that I'm not an afterthought, that you're not an afterthought to God, that he had a plan and a purpose for you from the creation of time. It's like my salvation. While my first response was when I was nine years old to the gospel, and I can remember that, that I'm able to see over the span of my lifetime, even up to now, God at work. And he's really at work and been in a process of revealing the masterpiece as he works it out, as I, for one, am surrendered completely to his will. It's like the whole debate. Uh, you all know the old debate between Calvinism and Armenianism. It is the, is it, is it the, the context of predestination and election, or is it entirely of my will that I am saved? Well, the reality is that it's both. I love Pastor Bill's analogy in this one. It's, 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 it's a great analogy. It's like salvation as viewed through a door, like the front door of your home, for example. As you walk up to the front door of salvation, you're thinking, this is my choice. It's my belief. It's my faith, my response, and ultimately my repentance and change of mind that causes me to be saved. As I accept God and his grace in my life, it's my choice. But as I walk through the door of salvation, I turn around and I look over the mantle, and guess what it says over the top? This is really cool. What it says over the top is that from the beginning, God chose me. That God elected me. That God adopted me. That God sent Jesus to save me. It's both at work. My will walking through saying yes to God. But when I turn around, I, had, I ultimately had no choice. And I'm grateful for that because God did everything for me. As far as God is concerned, you are safe, secure, and were never an afterthought in Jesus. So good. The second reason that we can have hope, our second point for today, because we are at the forefront of Jesus' thoughts, we can have hope because you and I are at the forefront of his thoughts. Romans 8, 31, 32. We've read this before. Let me read it to you again. What then shall we say to these things? What, what shall we say to the fact that I am chosen, that I'm accepted, that I'm justified, that I'm glorified by God's grace? What can I say? This is what Paul says. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
Come on, church, that's a good word, isn't it? God himself, in the person of Jesus, came to this earth with one thing on his mind, the redemption of humanity, humanity, the annihilation of the result of the fall. What can we say in all of this? That God is for us. This is the grace of God. That we're at the forefront of his mind and he is for us because he's paid the price in Jesus Christ. That Jesus would die in my place. A death that he did not deserve. To give me a status as God's son that I did not deserve at all. But while I'm at the forefront of his mind, I was always chosen and always accepted as the masterpiece of God. Think of it this way. You were at the forefront of Jesus' mind when he said, it is finished. The penalty for sin is served in the death of Jesus Christ. And I think we should see a few amens written up on the screen right there. The penalty of sin was served when Jesus died upon the cross. And now we must reconcile, even in our own thinking, that if God gave Jesus his son to die for us in our place to save us, to save you, why wouldn't he do more for you? If God would give up his son to die in your place, why do we limit the thinking of God to just that one point? Why wouldn't he, as his adopted sons, why wouldn't God give us all things, as it says, according to Paul's word here in Romans? This is the gospel. This is the good news. That God will never leave you short. He has and will provide everything that you need for salvation and the grace to overcome in this world. This is the hope that we have. Not only is he my help for today, but Jesus, by his grace, is my hope for tomorrow. That tomorrow, if I died, if I walked out of this church today and I accidentally fell over and banged my head and found myself dead, that my hope is I will wake up in the presence of God. Is that your hope, church? This is the good news, that God will never leave me short and he will never leave you short. That like it says there, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So good. The third point for today. Thirdly, we have hope because we are not saved by Jesus and then left to fend for ourselves. Romans eight thirty three and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Did you know that the Bible is full of legal language? I had this conversation the other day with one of our parents at the school. It was an amazing conversation last week. Uh, they were feeling dejected and you know, the whole racist stuff that's coming up at the moment. And, and we're able to discuss, firstly and foremostly, how God loves them and cares for them and share the gospel, but then help understand and explain that the accuser of the brethren, the enemy has no right to bring a charge against you. This is an example. The reality is, 
You cannot be retried or recharged for a crime that you have been acquitted of. Paul is saying here, who, who, who can recharge you? Who can bring a charge against the elect of God? The reality is, Jesus took your punishment on himself when he stretched out his arms and died upon the cross. The crime, your sin, my sin, it has been paid for with his blood. And because Jesus said it is finished, and now Jesus says that you are his, and now Jesus stands before God as your interceder, Jesus says, acquitted. You are no longer guilty. And no longer can an accuser stand before God accusing you of anything. Sin is dealt with once and for all. I'll give you an example. For many of you in Australia, you might know this. Um, for, for those of you particularly older than myself, you would know this for sure. But the example is um, uh, Lindy Chamberlain, Lindy and Michael Chamberlain. I read of the story during the week. At the time, I was only one year old when the infamous cry of a dingo took my baby was let out. On the 17th of August, 1980, began a saga for the Chamberlain family, an ordeal like no other. An SDA pastor and his pregnant wife take their two children to Uluru, in what can only be described as police negligence and an intent to pin a crime on someone with manufactured evidence, Lindy and Michael Chamberlain were found guilty in November 1982 of murder. Lindy herself was sentenced to life in prison and Michael receiving a suspended sentence because the judge ultimately knew that something was amiss. In 1987, a royal commission found them not guilty and Lindy was released from prison. The saga did not end there, though. But in June 2020, only eight years ago, I'm 41 this year, so think about it, a process of 40 years minus those eight years, the 32 years, the final verdict was declared that Azaria Chamberlain, the daughter, the 10-month-old baby, was indeed taken by a dingo. It's interesting that the local indigenous people knew what had happened. A tracker even knew which dingo it was by the tracks and stated that the dingo was carrying something of weight in its mouth by the depth of the prince in the red earth. Due to the times of the trial, sadly, these uh, testimonies were inadmissible at court because indigenous people were excluded from the court in this time. This proclamation of innocence, think about that, proclamation of innocence. That's what Jesus is declaring over you. In 2012, it brings this case to its final conclusion. Lindy and Michael being acquitted of all guilt how good's that, broke down and cried together. You know, they were no longer married. This, this whole tumultuous ordeal 
caused them to be separated and divorced, remarried and all of those sorts of things. It brought, it brought pain and suffering into their lives. But these, these people who loved one another but they were no longer married, broken to the core, were free of the guilt that was sentenced over their life. No more charges could be brought against them. They were free of all guilt. And this is what happened for you and for I. For those of you in 2012, when you think back to the news reports, as Lindy and Michael Chamberlain fell upon their knees, breaking down because they were finally proclaimed as not guilty, that the truth finally came out and the shame that they carried throughout their life was, was finally the truth set them free. This is what happened for you when God cried out on the cross, finished. Satan, nor your own accusations, can ever hold up in the court of heaven again. When you choose Jesus, when you commit your life to him and you receive your pardon, you are truly free indeed. As verse 33 says, it is God who justifies. That is so powerful, church. It is God who proclaims over your life just as if I'd never sinned. That is so powerful. Verse 34 says this, Who is to condemn? I love the answer. No one. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. We have hope because we're not alone. We do not advocate for ourselves. Jesus is our lawyer. He's our defense. Jesus now intercedes on our behalf. We have hope because we have a guaranteed place in him. In heaven. In the new heaven, the new earth. And Jesus is pleading our case. How good's that? He stands before the Father, speaking well of you and declaring that you belong to him. That is our glorification. He sets us free and speaks well of us before the Father. We have hope because Jesus is praying for us. And he prays, Holy Spirit, as he prays, Holy Spirit is working his plans and purposes in us and through us. And they are assigning for us angels to minister to and through us or by us. For the believer, the redeemed of God, those who are saved, that is you and I, we always have a hope because number one, we are not an afterthought. Number two, we are always at the forefront of Jesus' thoughts. And three, because we are saved by Jesus and not left alone to fend for ourselves, but that he stands before God speaking well of us, proclaiming innocence, because he is innocent. So good. So church, where are you today? Where are you? It leads me to ask that question. Do you have confidence in yourself? Do you have confidence in what you can do? Or do you put all of that aside? 
just like the rock that's chiseled away from, from that piece of marble. It confidence in the miracle of what God can do as he brings salvation into your life. This is so good, church. Do you have confidence in Jesus, the one who died in your place? Or are you full? Are you full of fear? Are you full of worries? Is the enemy getting into you because of his accusations and lies against you? This is not where Jesus wants you to be. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find, I love this, it's the same word that speaks of the joy and the freedom that Lindy and Michael Chamberlain felt in 2012. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, Jesus' yoke, is easy and my burden is light. When one comes to Jesus, he releases them from guilt, shame and the entirety of sin. Pardoned, just like the Chamberlains. When this happens, we lay our lives down for him only to find that in the laying down of ourself in the will of God, we discover the true masterpiece that he caused us to be. Just like the artist Michelangelo, who revealed the remarkable sculpture of David, Jesus reveals the remarkable masterpiece that God has called you to be. It's only in surrendering to Jesus fully, in laying down our lives in a sacrifice that says, I am yours completely, living sacrifice for God, that we truly discover who we are and the life that we're meant to live. And its purpose. Hebrews 4.14 is my final scripture for today. It says this, and it encourages us to come to Jesus. Let me read it to you. It says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. This is Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus went through everything that we had to go through. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Thank God for that, eh? Verse 16, let us then with confidence. Church, are you confident today? Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus was fully tempted, fully challenged, and yet chose to follow the path set before him. He saw the reward and so much greater than the earthly pleasure. He chose the cross over his own comfort because the reward, it was you and I. It is by the cross that we understand the depths of God's love for us, that Jesus would lay down all that we would have the opportunity to approach with this confidence the throne of God. I love what it says there, that we may receive mercy. You know, mercy is not getting that which we deserve. It's, it's interesting. 
And yet when we, and then it, so it goes on and says, and you may find grace, which is receiving everything that we don't deserve. It's the pardon, the call, the acceptance, the justification, the redemption, the adoption, and the glorification that we have in Christ. If you would like to know more about this church, it begins right here with the invitation of bringing Jesus into your heart. Church, think about it. As you sit and you listen to these words, you are not abandoned. You are adopted into the family of God. You are pardoned, called righteous, justified by Jesus. And now you have an advocate that stands before the Father, proclaiming that you belong to him. This comes as a choice as you approach the doors of salvation. But know that God has predestined this from the beginning of time, that you would choose him, surrender your will to his, and unpack and come to this place that allow God to create you to become a masterpiece that he sees. If you'd like to do that today, if you'd like to know more, maybe you can click the button that says, just come up there on the chat and says, I'd love, I want to raise my hand. If you're on the chat on, on the other socials, maybe you can just say, I want to know more about Jesus and go to our website and, and, and fill in the form to contact us. But right now, if you raise your hand and just say, oh, I want to say yes to Jesus, I want to walk through that door of salvation. Church, let's do that together right now. I want to pray with you. I'm so thankful that Jesus is our help for today and is our hope for tomorrow. Let's pray as he becomes your hope today. Jesus, we come before you. We ask you to bring us salvation. Thank you for your acceptance. Thank you your love I confess that I am a sinner in need of a saviour thank you that you paid the price for me that you died upon the cross taking my punishment on yourself Jesus I believe that you are the son of God that you rose again Right now, I ask you to forgive me. Come and make your home within me by your Holy Spirit. I surrender my life to you. And I accept your pardon. Thank you, Jesus. I am so grateful. Thank you now that I am at the forefront of your mind. Create me into the masterpiece you see. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, I'm really looking forward to our next week, last week to wrap up this series. And I thank God that you have heard what I've said today. And I encourage you, reach out, touch base with someone and tell them what you just did. God bless you. Amen. Jesus.
by his nail-pierced hands we're free by his blood we're washed clean now we have the victory
nothing cause death could not cause death could not hold you Make sure to like and follow us on all of our social media platforms. We have Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Share this with your family and friends as well. Thank you for tuning in this morning. Have a blessed week.